Welcome to the Cannabis Business Show. This is your host, Milton Wani. I run a digital marketing and website development uh, business. I work in collaboration with a few partners, as well as I will soon be outreaching to some influencers out there in Canada and the United States. So stay tuned for that. Uh, there's still a lot more to come as well. Um, but you'll have to listen to more podcasts. Uh, today's podcast will be with Christopher Alonso. Uh, we will be talking about Quebec, uh, his medical use, uh, as well as uh, what we see is happening in the industry of cannabis. So I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, thank you, Christopher, for joining me on this podcast. I know Christopher from when I used to work with him at another company. We had these conversations about marijuana. Christopher has a particular medical issue that requires him self-prescribe his cannabis. The way I know Christopher is he's headlong deep into website development and design. I'll be doing some more work with Christopher in the near future, and we'll be talking a little bit about what that is as well. So Christopher, how many years have you been doing this? So I've been involved with web design, web development, SEO, digital marketing as a whole, I guess you could say for about, it's going to be five years. I was with a company that you were at as well, Evo, for uh, two years, where I did uh, mostly web design, web development consistently throughout the two years. I touched on digital marketing, Facebook ads, SEO, everything that comes into setting up a business online. Uh, but I definitely built a lot of websites with them, uh, a little over 2,000. I also have some experience with uh, the cadets. I did five years with them, and that's where I pull most of my teaching experience from. So uh, I do have quite a bit of experience when it comes to teaching classes, training people when it comes to leadership, executing things properly, things of that nature. And I also participate in a lot of case studies when it comes to Facebook, the latest one being a group I built up to 46,000 users. Tell me a little bit more about that Facebook group. You have your own special community. Yes, absolutely. So basically what I did a few years ago, this is actually uh, about the time when I was about to leave the corporation we were at. And uh, I decided to put together a group for a video game online. Video game is called uh, Old School RuneScape. And this was just a case study to see how fast I could build a group up. So in the last year alone, we've gained about 11,000 members. And our growth rate is consistent, super high engagement. It's very good testament to the fact that you can grow communities and client lists, I guess you could say, on Facebook without putting a dime in. This, this whole group was built organically without any ads, no no money was put into it over the entire time that it's existed. A few months ago, Facebook did a pretty major change to their algorithm, which knocks down pages and prioritizes friend content and groups. So there's a lot more potential when it comes to businesses using groups on Facebook now, as opposed to their pages, if they don't want to put money in. If you have an advertising budget, pages can still work very well. But without an advertising budget, groups are really the way to go. Tell me a little bit about your health issue. That's been a big part of your life. Absolutely. That's kind of how we started our conversation on cannabis. Absolutely. So I guess, uh, where to begin? I would say I've been having issues with my gastric system for over a decade. I've been followed by a specialist since 2003, 2004, let's say. But these issues have been you know, going on since I was a child. A brief summary of my current state would be that in the last two and a half, three years, I had a pretty massive flare-up, which uh, was very debilitating. It knocks me out for about half the day. Still, to this day, it's it's pretty rough, but, uh, you know, work around it. Funny enough, I was uh, maybe 16, 17. This is back in 08, 09. And I decided to try cannabis for the first time. And, you know, this was recreational, a stupid teenager deciding to try something for the first time, right? 
But I noticed just so happened that it got rid of a lot of my gastric symptoms. It brought back my appetite. It got rid of my nausea and got rid of the cramping, got rid of most of the symptoms. I mean, you know, it's not an opiate. It's not going to kill pain entirely, but it makes it manageable to the point where, like right now, I'm able to sit with you, have a conversation. I'm perfectly lucid. I'm able to have a, you know, a talk with you without going off because uh, I get a pain pang or something along those lines. And so I found that was very, very interesting, especially given the fact that throughout my entire childhood, I was taught that cannabis was, uh, you know, the devil's lettuce, essentially. <laughs> and so that was a bit surprising. So it took uh, a few years, I mean, a good two years, just looking into it, researching it, finding out that I was misinformed, <laughs> essentially. And since then, I've just been using cannabis as the main medicine, I guess you could say, to treat my uh, my ailments. I mean, I've gone dozens, dozens and dozens of different prescriptions. I've tried opiates. I've tried a whole bunch of different things. This is the best I've found for myself to treat the problem and at the same time remain functional. Because uh, last thing I want to do is eliminate the pain and then just end up being a little potato, being vegetative, essentially. Usually in the morning, I need to uh, medicate and I need to just get through that initial blast of pain tightness, cramping, uh, unpleasantness, to be, you know, for lack of a better word. And um, once I get through that, my days are usually pretty alright. With cannabis, it's manageable. Without cannabis, it's, uh, it's not. <laughs> Is this one of those uh, medical areas that they're still trying to figure out what's wrong with you? Absolutely. So I do not have a diagnosis. Um, I've gone through pretty much every test that you can have. I've had cameras in every <laughs> every sense uh, put in me. I've had a pill covered in cameras go through my entire gastric system. So we recorded that. That was an interesting one. All this to find out that um, it's an unknown gastric issue potentially caused by an autoimmune disease. We have, we have no idea, basically, is the bottom line. It's not uh, Crohn's. It's not cancer. It's not this. It's not that. It's not any of the uh, the big obvious ones, let's say. I'm not from Montreal. I'm from Ottawa. And cannabis culture in Ottawa isn't something I can say there's a cannabis culture, like there's a community of us who hang out. It's more like like the good old days, you know, you hang out with your buddy, you make you look around and make sure that no one's, you know, no police are around and no neighbors are around. It was kind of a club back in the old days. There was only a few of us who did anything. And by the same token, you didn't know anyone else at the same time. Definitely. But for you and living in Montreal and Quebec, what's the community like? Hmm. I'd say it's very comparable to what you just described in the sense that it's a lot of micro communities as opposed to one overarching major community. I, I think, you know, to myself, my experience smoking cannabis throughout the years, and it's very much been a, the case of like, you know, go meet your friends, you hang out, smoke a little, and that's about it. There's not like any major movement per se that I can say I, uh, I noticed and like attached myself to in Montreal online a bit more. There were a few different groups uh, online that brought together that Canadian culture of cannabis user, I guess you could say. But no, we've always kind of been underground, haven't we? I think when it comes to um, recreational cannabis, when it comes to cannabis in Canada and the way we've gone about this, allowing the provinces to decide the minute details of how to apply this legislation, I believe was a mistake. On the federal level, the things that were agreed upon should have been agreed upon and discussed and settled with with the provinces before the before the law came into place. The fact that provinces are now playing catch up and we're probably going to end up with changes in terms of cannabis legislation 
over the course of the next few years because anytime a new government comes in, they can play around with it, is very problematic in my mind. Beyond that, the fact that we don't have a standard age throughout Canada is also problematic in my mind. I do understand where they're coming from with wanting to raise the age of consumption or the age to 21. However, the reasoning that they're using to justify that doesn't really add up to me. What they're saying is that they want to limit access of cannabis to people with a developing brain. However, the developing brain, uh, the brain continues to develop rather until you're 25. So if that was the true justification for raising the age of consumption to 21, it would be 25. There's a bit of a disconnect here when it comes to Quebec, I think. I think there's a lot of stuff going on in the background that we don't necessarily know about or are not necessarily aware of. This uh, stranglehold on the recreational market by a monopoly is a problem right off the bat. Not being able to grow at home is another problem. This raising the age to 21, I mean, if the entire or if the main point behind legalization was attacking the black market, they've done a terrible job of it. I know my view is it would almost be impossible to get all the provinces to agree on the legislation at the federal level. The example of not having a consistent age across the country has to do with each province making that choice and decision. A federal law suggested it, but uh, the way we live in the federal system makes it that it always has to go down to the lowest level. The exception might be municipalities. I mean, I'd love municipalities to have more influence, and they do at the local level, but they're pretty much excluded from some of these conversations. Well, I think we were talking about this the other day, and uh, I think we came to the same conclusion in that it'd be great to see um, these types of laws and these types of things controlled a bit more on the local level. Just a shame the way it's, it's played out, really. In terms of zoning and certain code requirements, like certain issues that might be particular to reach, you know, there are whole places, for example, that are saying they don't want it. That is their right to, to do. Yeah, sure. I mean, they represent their constituents. If their constituents don't want it, then by all means. This is another way of I'm saying constituents. Yeah, I'm oversimplifying it. No, 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 you're not, over, no you're, on not paper. Over, you're not oversimplifying it. My, my particular thought was sometimes it's, it's personal biases and we as a culture have to grow. And so what we see today is different than what we're going to see in five years. Baby boomers are yeah. a certain age right now. A large number of them do not believe in marijuana. As time goes by, it's going to be another generation that gets a little older and is a little bit more comfortable. Generally speaking, I think education, the lack of, I keep coming back to this example, but for me, it's a little sad that it's a new idea for many people what the word cbd is like yeah to tell definitely. people that there's something that's non-psychoactive that actually helps you they some mm -hmm. people ask like why would you want to use it then but yeah. that's because they've never conceived of the notion that it's not as bad as they think it is uh, no definitely and i think you're you're you've got a good point there in the sense that as the generational shift takes place we're also probably going to see more and more baby boomers take it in stride as well it's just that cultural shift needs to take place it just hasn't yet. On the topic of health and medical, I was going to ask you about your strain usages, because maybe maybe there are people out there who, who can learn a little bit from your your story of how you came to decide what's you, what you like. I mean, when it comes to strains, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. The strain and the strain in itself matters less to me than the person growing it. That's really what it comes down to, because this is just stuff I've learned over the last year. You can grow a strain that's theoretically very high in THC, for example. White Widow, let's say. But let's say White Widow is a very THC high strain. You grow White Widow. You harvest it late. Well, now you're going to have more CBD in your composition when it comes to that, uh, that, that strain. So I try not to base myself too much on strains because uh, even from one 
harvest to the next. Let's say I've got two batches. Batch number one and batch number two will be different. The terpenes will be different. The flavor profile will be different. They'll be similar, but they will be different. THC to CBD to other cannabinoid balance will also be different. So I think what's more important is figuring out what your preferred method of delivery is, be it combustion, vaporization, edibles, topical ointments, whatever the case might be. And then from there, just stick to not necessarily the strains that have the best effect for you, but the um, genetic family that has the best effect for you, be it sativa, hybrid, indica, whatever the case might be. The reality is you can never really get the same strain twice. That's really what it comes down to. One of the partners I'm working with is more passionate when it comes to botany, the plants, the growing and all that. I'm more uh, interested when it comes to extracts, um, be it combustible extracts like oil or, or hash or uh, edible extracts, lotions, uh, really whatever, anything under the bus that you need to concentrate. That's really where I'm most interested. I, I make a lot of homemade hash. I'm playing around with making oil quite often now as well. And uh, it's just, it, it's a good time. Have somebody that you might want to have on your podcast, though, um, and he's very interested as well. And we can discuss horticulture, botany, that whole angle with him in, in depth. I'm what I know is from him, to be honest with you. I wanted to ask you about etiquette. Maybe there's things that we should think about and how to make it a better experience. Uh, I just wonder if you have any ideas there. I mean, when it comes to cannabis etiquette, everybody likes to think that there's like some overarching, pre-established secret rules through the cannabis community. The reality is just. Just be a decent person, you know? You've got a joint person next to you, offer them some. Even if they don't smoke. They don't smoke, they'll tell you. Oh, well, I was just trying to share with you. My apologies. No problem. Pass the joint around the circle. It comes back to you. That person is still standing next to you. Maybe ask them again. Might have changed their minds. Maybe they're too shy to ask for, yeah, you know what? Now that I've seen it going around three times, I'd like to have a little puff. Worst case, they'll tell you, listen, man, no, I, I really don't want any. Stop bugging me. And then you'll say, okay, great. I'll stop bugging you. Be overly nice. When it comes to the cannabis community, we all have one thing that brings us together and one thing that we can all agree we enjoy. And there's no reason why we can't come together with that, no matter how you may disagree about you know, X, Y, or Z. And on the topic of Christmas, a great way to you know, dispel or... Uh, calm political uh, arguments or disagreements you have with your family, be lighting a blunt. It's a good one. Other than that, just some simple stuff, like don't blow into the bong. You know, it, it, it sounds silly, but just don't do it. Always share if you can. And if your buddy needs some bud, it's okay to charge him. Don't make a profit. You're not a drug dealer. Those are just a few things that come, uh, come to mind off the top of my head, but I'm sure we can, uh, we can make a little segment out of this, I'm sure. <laughs> it was a little while back that for the first time I heard the word blunt. How would you describe it? Definition of a blunt is just the cannabis cigar, for lack of better terms, wrapped with tobacco leaves. Uh, you can pick them up at the depth or at your corner store if you're not from Quebec. They usually come in a little piece of foil or a little piece of uh, plastic. You know, you open it up. It's a little humid. It's wrapped around a stick. I'm not a huge fan, to be honest with you, because I don't like mixing tobacco and cannabis, but, uh, you know, teach their own. Yeah. <laughs> you also said don't blow into the bomb. So uh, something that people who are new to cannabis, this is a problem that I've personally seen happen many, many times. Um, most people don't know how to use a water pipe or bong. And so 
one thing I've, ha- I've seen happen very often is halfway through smoking, they cough. <laughs> what happens when you cough into a cylinder with <laughs> only one way out? All the water shoots out. <laughs> and your bowl's all wet now, too, so you got to wait till you can smoke again. The party fell. Don't do that. Sounds silly, but it happens more often than you'd think. You said it was only a couple years ago you started smoking marijuana. But uh, I guess your family, I'm just, for them, they must have been like, why is he going into that direction? Oh, yeah, very much. Uh, as much as I do have some family who's dappled in it, I guess you could say. And I do have one family member who does consume cannabis. Wasn't necessarily the most accepted thing, I guess you could say. I was very lucky in that my mother was un- very understanding of the fact that it did help me with my gastric issues and everything else. So once that was established, she did speak to me and say, you know, you want to smoke, please just, just do it at home. Don't want you to go out and get in trouble or do something stupid. But it was very much approached along the same lines of like alcohol. You know, just don't be stupid. Don't do something stupid. Fair enough. I can understand and respect that. But there was always that stigma. And there's, I would say still to this day, that stigma surrounding my use of a drug to treat my problem as opposed to medicine. Yeah. If there's an emergence of a cannabis community in, in the youth, um, I don't think it's going to be through smoking. That's really my, my belief. Uh, with all the stigma around smoking, cigarettes, obviously, but still there's a lot of stigma around smoking and combustion and having a cigarette or a, you know, a joint in your mouth. I think we're going to see them move towards edibles, beverages, things of that nature. Maybe vaping at a, at a limit, but actually smoking cannabis, I think you're going to see it less and less over the next like decade, 15 years. I'm working with you, Chris at some point and with some other people. Can you tell me again how big your following is and maybe even your ideas on how it works with cannabis? Yeah, definitely. So my group right now just broke 46,000 members yesterday night. So it's at 46,067 users. Pulling out my insights here so I can give some real data. So monthly, we're talking about approximately three to 4,000 new users. Yearly growth rate is about 9%. And we're talking about a really, really, really high engagement rate. So every day of the 46,000, 36,000 or so, either post, comment, react, something along those lines. Now, uh, I built this group up from nothing using nothing, really. I didn't have any money to put into it. I didn't have a website. I don't have, I didn't put anything into it. And that was intentional. So there's a few things when it comes to Facebook groups that are incredibly important. Uh, both for retention and for growth. So the first thing being quality. When it comes to what you pump out in terms of content, you want to make sure it's high quality content visually and in terms of what is actually being transmitted in terms of information. Give away free information. You don't need to, how do I put this? You can give away free information, foundation information, the basics, you know, whatever you want to call it, and people will eat it up. And then they'll engage with you and they'll ask you questions and start fostering a relationship in that way. In my case, it's the video game community. So it's not necessarily a, a sales play or uh, like I'm not trying necessarily to sell them anything, be it a service or a product. So the, the comparison's a bit different, but they are still very comparable in the sense that the organic growth strategy is the same. You want to make sure you're pumping out quality content. Then you want to make sure you've got 
a set of standards in place that you enforce to the letter. So as an example, we don't allow pictures of low quality. So if you take a picture with your phone of your screen, it's going to get deleted just to ensure a standard of quality. That's one example. But you need to apply that to every rule you put in place, including, you know, um, no harassment, no flaming, no, no politics is a good one. No religion is another good one. If you want to, you know, make sure that things don't degenerate on, in your group. Uh, following that, it's very, very important to put together and cultivate a very strong team. Now, one thing that you can benefit from greatly when it comes to groups is that if you've got the quality, if you're engaging with people, and if you're making sure that your standard is set, once you've got that foundation, you've already got people in your group at this point who are engaged, who are interested, and who one in 10, one in 20 will want to help. Get yourself some volunteers. Get yourself a team of volunteers. Make them moderators. Make them admins. Have them do the work. Delegate. You don't want to be taking care of your group. If you're taking care of your group, you're spending 20 hours a week doing what? There's no actual return from that unless you're upselling, unless you're targeting people. And if you're trying to target people and upsell at this point, when you just put together your team, you're going too early. Slow down. Right. So now you've got your foundation in place. Your standards have been set. You've fostered you know, a nice structure, you've got quality content going out, and you've put together a team. Now you're going to want to go back to your foundation and revisit it. Make sure everything's in place. Cover picture, logo, and if you have a page, make sure it's linked to your group. Make sure you're using the announcements to bring attention to any events you might be having, any promotions you might be having. This is now the time to really make sure everything's lined up, everything's set properly, and from this point forward is when you're trying to work on growth. Your foundation is set, you've got your team, everything's lined up, right? How do you get more people to join? You need to engage them and you need to get them posting, you need to get them reacting, you need to get them commenting, and you need them to get them to want to invite their friends. The idea here is not to go out and make ads and go looking for your clients. You want your, or your clients, your audience, whatever the case might be, you want them to come looking for you. You want to become the authority in your niche. The way I did that is really through quality, quality content, making sure that when people have questions, you engage with them, provide them with short answers or a resource. You know, you don't have time to write out a paragraph explaining how to do X, Y, or Z. Give them a link. Make sure your team's doing this as well. You've got 10, 15 people doing this. You're laughing. You're absolutely yeah. laughing. And your growth rate at this point, I can think of any group that I've worked with, including cannabis groups on Facebook, if you've made sure to establish that solid foundation, got your team pumping out quality content and you're engaging with your users, you will grow. You will grow by at least 2% consistently every month. That's just a matter of maintaining it. Then you can start looking at monetizing. You can start looking at building a website for this group. You can start looking at whatever the case might be. Do not try to monetize and do not try to push for revenue too early. Obviously, this is situational. If you're talking about a gaming community, you want tens of thousands of people. If you're talking about a mastermind group where maybe you're inviting your clients because you want to give them some extra information or give them a portal of sorts where they can you know, discuss with various different clients to, to help each other out, random idea, right? Random uh, possibility. A few hundred would be good. If you're putting together a Shopify store and you want a group for your clients to give you feedback and things along those lines, Maybe a few thousand. It really depends. It's very situational. But the idea is you don't want to pull the trigger too early. 
because it'll look like you sold out and you'll lose the confidence and trust of your community. That's all that comes to mind. Quick fire, uh, you know, right off, off the top of my head right now, but uh, there's a lot to it and there's a lot of potential. This definitely applies to cannabis, but I'd say it applies to really any business, any business out there, especially small businesses, emerging businesses, and startups. You have to take control of your digital presence. Having a storefront just doesn't cut it anymore. You need not just to have an online presence, you need to control your online presence. You need to make sure you're aware of what's going on, who's saying what, what's happening online, essentially. You need to be able to know if there's something terrible brewing and you need to react to it. You need to really be on top of the online angle because uh, it can sink you. It can absolutely sink you. Now that my a horrible warning is out of the way, there's a lot of benefits to hiring out when it comes to digital marketing. The main one being you, most business owners, most vice presidents, most, most people who work in a business that they own or that they're working for do not have 20, 30, 40 hours a week to put into this. They don't have 10 hours a week to put into this. The reality is, you know, everything I just described about Facebook groups, it's a lot of man hours to put everything in place, to line everything up, to lay the foundation, to hire the team, to vet the team, to train the team, follow up, make sure every week that you're, you know, staying in touch. You got to keep the team involved and interested. Got to give them feedback, make sure that they're progressing positively. All these things take time and energy, you know, regular content, producing the content, editing the content, putting it together, scheduling it, making sure it's going out consistently, then going back, analyzing all the content you've posted to see what the best post times are. When should I distribute my content? What type of content should I distribute? Why did this work and this didn't work? The list is countless. And so you have all these different avenues when it comes to the actual marketing. But you also, at, at the same time as you're dealing with all of that, you've also got to make sure you were keeping track of any citation or listing online referencing you. Anytime someone mentions you, be it in a positive or negative light, if it's in a positive light, you want to, you want to thank them, right? Fosters some kind of relationship between you and your, your clients. If it's in a negative light, you want to get on that ASAP and deal with the problem and make sure the negative comment either gets removed or there's a follow-up that says, oh my God, look at them. They took such great care of me. I had such a big problem and now I'm really happy. Things like this can really make or break your business, can make the difference between you breaking even or going home fat and happy. I'm pigeonholing you into Facebook, but I know that you do more than that. Definitely say my two areas of like real expertise are SEO and Facebook. But you're right, you know, I, I do touch websites, I touch Google ads, uh, metrics, Instagram, YouTube, different social media channels. Uh, it, yeah. It, as I'm sure you know, our industry kind of forces us to touch a little bit on, on everything, and then you kind of got to refine uh, what you're best at and try and focus on it when you can. It's very important to keep in mind that like uh, website's the anchor for your online presence. You need good design. You need it to be high quality, and it, it represents you more so than almost anything else out there. People look online before they shop. People take the time now to see if you're reputable, see what your reviews look like, things along that, like, these things are very serious now and they're very real and it can make or break you. It can really make or break you. And having a good strategy in place for that and having good SEO, so making sure that you rank properly on Google, those two things can make all the difference. 
the thing that really keep in mind is that actually doing the work, actually executing is not super long. It's not extremely, not extremely time consuming or incredibly difficult. What's really difficult is educating yourself on it and making sure you're using best practice. And the reality is you don't have two years to learn this. And beyond that, let's say you take two years to learn this. The algorithms change every six months, nine months, give or take. So everything you learn, it, it makes for a good foundation, but you also have to be up to date, keep track of all the changes, see how they affect what you're working with, and ideally connect with other people in the industry to see how it's affecting them, how it's impacting them, their industry, their businesses, their different niches. And then from there, you get an educated guess as to how the algorithm has changed. It's, you'll never be told, no one will ever know, not even the people who work on the algorithms know how they work entirely because they're portioned off into sections. It's just, it's not, it's not easy. I guess it's the best way to put it. I think that website design plays a big role for conversion as well. For, I like to say from a search engine optimization point of view, you can get all the traffic in the world to come to you, but if people aren't going to click the button to buy or contact you, then you're really failing. Oh, definitely. A high bounce rate will lead to you going down in the rankings 100%. I mean, if people spend three seconds on your website because there's nothing of value, yeah. it doesn't matter how well your SEO is set up. Uh, you're, it's going to go down in rankings anyways. So uh, I, I can't agree with you more that UX or uh, user experience is very, very important. I will also say that I've seen in the cannabis space awful, awful looking websites. Oh, yeah. But I know that they're getting huge amounts of traffic and sales. I think it has to do with, you know, back in the bad old days or good old days, you know, how many bong companies were there out there selling products? Fair enough. Like I said, there's, a, there's been quite a few ugly sites, but I think regardless of the design, but if, uh, here's another way of saying it. Let's say you're getting 2% of your visitors who are clicking on your, on your website. But if you can get it to 4%, like multiply it by two, you're like all of a sudden your sales are doubling. And what's often the case with these, uh, cannabis businesses that have a solid level of traffic and interest but a really terrible website oftentimes it's because they've put most of their energy and time into social media channels and promotion if they have two percent retention when people land on their website i mean yeah it's not terrible but hey it could be a hell of a lot better right it'd be six percent it'd be four percent like you said any little in incremental increase leads to a ton more revenue over the year I mean, acquiring a client is way more expensive than keeping one, right? I came across a statistic. It was Harvard Business Review. It said something like this. If you can bring 5% of your customers back uh, one more time that month, it increases your revenue by 50% or a little more. No kidding. Best customer is the one that comes back. It's not the one that you got to hunt for. Definitely. The real benefit of working with an outside person, let's say another marketer, digital marketer like yourself, we provide a new perspective or new insight. And I think working with you and working with other digital marketers collectively, you know, I'm blind. There's parts of my uh, experiences and knowledge that don't see everything. Because I studied user experience design, interviewing users, let's say you and I interview five different users to look at a website. Each five person will give you a different perspective on what's wrong with the website. Mm -hmm. But collectively speaking, the greatness of the things that they give you just makes that website like a rocket ship. Most people don't ask their customers what they think about their products. This is a good opportunity to talk about your course a little bit. 
uh, your Shopify course. And the reason I think this is a good time to talk about it uh, is because I can also tell you that I'm going to be helping you with it. In, yes, you will. In, We're going to be working in, together on that. In at least the user experience design part, because some of the elements of the topics uh, have to do with creating a persona and understanding your customers and some competition analysis. Creating a website in the user experience design point of view really is putting the customer first. And so I'll go through the little processes that are you would think through to, to creating a nice little Shopify shop and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, that would help a lot with the, the entire course process as well, because it is something that's very, very, very difficult for um, a business owner to do. Because you inevitably always either end up being hyper-pessimistic or hyper-optimistic. Uh, it, it, it happens. No matter what, it happens, especially if you're running... Um, if you're not selling services, but you're selling products, you're in love with the product. The client needs to fall in love with the product. They're not there yet. You can't assume they're already there. And it happens a lot with services as well, where it's like, oh, I, I'm the best. Okay. Says who? Says you? Who the hell are you? <laughs> but really, you know, I, I can be the best SEO guy on the planet. If nobody knows it except for me, no one's going to hire me. I don't give a shit. Anyway, segueing into uh, the Shopify um, course, uh, yeah, I have been putting together a little Shopify course using um, my old lesson plans. And so uh, basically going over Shopify e-com in general, but focusing on Shopify because I do believe it's one of the best platforms out there, not only because of its ease of use, but also because they have very, very, very good support channels. So anytime you have a problem, you're going to get help and you're going to get it fast. Anyways, beyond all that, the main focus on the Shopify course is really just how to get started. You've got an idea, you've got products, you want to get going. Here's how you start your store. Here's the best practice to do. And you can use it as a reference guide, just as a checklist, so to speak. When you're putting together your store and what it is you absolutely need to do when you're putting it together. So like, I can go over a few quick points in the checklist just to give you an example. So like, Let's say you're ready for launch. The first three things you want to do is add your sales channels, link your custom domain, and check your payment gateway, as an example. Now, obviously, we're going to go more into this in the actual course, but, you know, a little teaser for you guys. At the same time, I'm also putting together some work when it comes to educating people on what foundation SEO is, the best practice when it comes to applying it, and when it comes to rolling out some more advanced SEO. So citations, backlinks, audits, checking the health of your site or your online store, all with the idea of eventually putting together some kind of collaborative effort, some kind of network, as you mentioned earlier, for all of us to kind of just get together, share the information we can share and serve clients as best as possible, really. Like if someone has a question and wants a video, I need a, you know, a client needs a professional video done, we can send them to the right person. And that's actually something we can do already, but we can get that filled out in all the different value added services industries. Then I think any clients under our, our belts are, are going to be very, very happy. Christopher and I are talking about doing presentations at business uh, meetings to make businesses more aware about various issues related to uh, cannabis and business. We'll be working together with some other professionals. I'm sure you remember I went to an expo last week. Uh, Strategie PME over here in Montreal, and there was a uh, little, not a discussion, but a um, a presentation on uh, cannabis business in Quebec and in Canada. 
And what I really realized throughout that expo, because I spoke to a lot of different people, be it insurance, uh, lawyer, any anyone I saw who might have something to provide or to offer to the cannabis industry, I spoke to. The impression I get from most people is that they're as curious as they are wary. So they're very interested, but they're still standoffish and they're not too sure what's going on. But there's money to be made, so uh, okay, I'm interested. They'll all talk to you, they'll all ask questions, but you can still kind of pick up a little bit on that uneasiness in some of the people. It's interesting. Is there any way people can reach you if they needed to ask you any questions? Yeah, absolutely. You can always uh, go to my website, nemesis-marketing.com. That's my agency. Or on Facebook, Nemesis Marketing. Or also on Facebook, Christopher Alonso. And yeah, I'm always happy to answer any questions, even if it's not you know, if you don't, you don't necessarily have to hire me to talk to me is what I'm trying to say. Basically, if you have some basic questions or some simple stuff you want to run by me, more than happy to help. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you liked that episode. Uh, this is Milton and I run UX Big Ideas and with a good number of other people, I work uh, on digital marketing and websites. So if you know anyone who's interested in the cannabis space, Uh, that is looking for new ideas. I'm here to provide it. Have a great week and stay uplifted. Yay!